Okay, David, many thanks for joining me today on Lifting the Curtain. Um, we've known each other for, for quite a few years. Um, you're very much a player coach across the enterprise software space, um, typically nationally across the US. Uh, is that a fair assessment of, of what you do? Yeah, I say it would, would be, Howard. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. It's a pleasure. So let me kick straight in. Um, what was the first full-time job that you, you were paid for? The first full-time job was right out of college. Um, it was a company called Datasuit, which actually um, was a French manufacturer for processing boards um, for Federal Express. Um, back, back when they started tracking packages electronically, you could actually look it up. So I learned quite a bit from that job. It was more manufacturing. I came into the position as, um, I would say, on the, the, the back office side, helping out with procurement and sourcing materials, which I, I learned quite a bit from doing that. What was it like to work for a, for a, French, a French company? I think the fun part, well, there's stories there, but it, it was interesting because as a French company, they had um, set up this office strictly for the um, Federal Express client. So they brought over a handful of um, engineers from France. So half the, half the office was French speaking with English as their second language and the rest of the office was English, um, not speaking much French. Um, so I, I guess funny stories there were um, one time I got into a passionate conversation with the CEO who was actually a friend as well. Um, and he couldn't find the English words fast enough. So he started talking to me in French and my background, I studied French in college. So I understood what he's saying, but I couldn't speak French fast enough to answer back. So we had this conversation going back and forth in English and French. He spoke French. I spoke English. We understood each other. And of course, if you look down the hall, you had the French side of the office was looking at, understood one side of the conversation and the English side was understanding the other. So it was, it was a fun, it was a fun experience working there. And that was kind of a funny moment um, working with the CEO like that. You, you, you say stories. I mean, this obviously works for you. Um, why, why do you find this so sort of instrumental in, in your enterprise engagements using stories to, to get the message over? Well, personally, I look at it as a sales tool, if that makes sense. Um, where that comes from, I mean, I think everybody knows that, you know, before there was handwriting, you know, people communicated knowledge and information through stories around campfires, but, you know, I'm, I'm drawing pictures there. Um, but what's worked well in enterprise and definitely in sales is using the story to highlight a feature or a situation or um, a, a key value for the customer, which has worked well because um, you can talk about speeds and feeds and you can do all the PowerPoints you want. Um, but at the end of the day, when you use a story to illustrate that, it seems to bring the information home much, much better than any other method I've, I've known. And it also breaks down those barriers. I don't want to call it an icebreaker, but it just makes it easier to have a conversation with the client, with their management team, even with your own leadership, um, just talking about those things. 
So that's, that's always been a, a curious thing that I like to use. Yes. And, and what would you say your own vision and goal for your own career is? Well, what I really enjoy doing, and I've done it through my career, is um, I like working with disruptive companies, if that makes sense. Um, and the idea there is uh, new technology, evangelizing it, bringing it to market, um, making an organization, organization better. Um, you know, I enjoy that first conversation. I enjoy um, working with leaning for teams on trying to make that happen and deliver the value to the customer. So as far as my career goes or what I'm looking forward to is, you know, I, I love being that individual contributor, um, building the pipelines and then building a team around that to um, maintain that pipeline and grow it. Um, in those situations, I guess I call myself a mentor, um, but I just like working with teams and making that happen. Um, small teams are, are what I call, you know, startup organizations, which I had a lot of success and really enjoyed working with. Um, so that's the direction I'd like to go. And the reason why I say that is, um, you know, with the small teams, um, there's always opportunity. Never, there's never one day that's the same. Um, so it's always a, a great thing to get up in the morning and you never know what's going to happen next. And it's always an adventure. Okay. So as part of that sort of, you know, mentoring and, and evangelizing sort of piece, do you, do you sort of get involved in, and develop that playbook? Yes, I do. Um, I've done it a couple different ways um, in, in developing a playbook. I kind of use a combination of methodologies you know, between like solution selling and, and the challenger method. And I think everybody knows what that is. Um, but within the playbook, I also um, create a structure and a um, reporting um, method. Um, I used to call it the QBR, you know, weekly QBR. Um, I'm not sure if that really makes any sense, but the whole idea was um, having a guideline, a playbook, a, a miles, you know, milestones of how a sales process should work um, when you're mentoring um, junior people or anybody on the teams new to the organization, you know, having that, that guide wire for everybody to follow and, and know what's going on. And the fun part about that is it also feeds into, you know, what's traditionally measured by CRMs. Um, so at the end of the day, you have a very measurable approach um, process. And so when leadership, the board, um, you know, asks for those forecasts and in a direction of what's going on with revenue, um, you can be very concrete and very um, confident in what's going on. So, so how do you sort of manage that in with, with the methodologies that, that you've mentioned? Yeah, with the methodologies, like I, I mentioned too, you know, solution selling is probably more hands-on or um, I don't want to call it soft skill, um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's more of understanding the customer buying cycle, uh, consulting them on finding out what, they, what works and what doesn't work for them. Um, but I've used like the challenger method more in more of a prospecting mode, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and if, you know, this is my definition of challenger method is using it to identify um, what industry that customer is in and not, you don't have to identify it as a, um, the industry, but under, understand their problems. Um, you know, a good example is on financial banking. Um, you know, every bank has the same type of customer acquisition problems. 
and they've got a dollar amount and a, you know, a percentage and, you know, they've got, I keep calling them problems, but at the end of the day, it's around what direction that's going and how they're going to get there. You know, I can get very granular in that area where they're building data models to go help predict that internally. Um, but with the challenger method, I, I've done that a couple of different ways. You understand those problems, you understand the value, the numbers, the percentages of what the industry is doing. You can go to any cut, you know, anybody in banking and talk, have a conversation quick about that. And they know exactly what's going on. And the fun part of that, they'll stop you and say, no, I don't have 11% churn. I've got a 17% churn. So that's, that's my problem. And it's a great conversation starter. Um, from there, what I like about that is you can go ahead and map out pretty much the entire sales cycle in an early conversation with milestones, which makes it a lot easier to get through the sales cycle, um, shorten it basically in that point in time. So that's what I like about those two methods. Good. I mean, it's sort of, it's consultative, but beyond, you know, beyond consultative using the challenge yourself. Right. Correct. What, what, what lessons did you, did you learn in 2020 through COVID-19 and lockdown? Well, I'm going to say there, there was two lessons learned there. Um, and they're pretty much both the same. Um, one was, you know, personally and also professionally. And I think they just boil down to um, the strongest thing that came out of it was just learning to pick up the phone more often and having a one-on-one um, -on -one conversation. You know, on the business side, it wasn't so much about, you know, a business conversation. It's more of how are you doing? You know, checking in with them, you know, hearing them out if they've had a problem or a tough time uh, and just, you know, sharing your stories about, you know, what you did, you know, is it Tuesday? Is it Saturday? Who knows? You got to look at the calendar to figure that out. So that's always a great conversation. Um, and the same thing on the personal side. Um, I think I've gotten closer to my extended family and definitely my brothers where we could barely connect, you know, once a month, well, no, once a quarter personally. And now we talk weekly about whatever's going on. So, you know, there, there's a lot of great benefits. I think everybody will say the same thing, yeah. um, but, you know, it was an eye opener and I, I'm looking forward to continuing that in the future. If, people will let me. Cool. So when you were growing up, did you have a, a particular um, thing that you wanted to do, uh, a particular job? Well, it's funny, you know, everybody says I want to grow up to be, a, you know, an astronaut or a policeman. I think um, when I got around to it, um, one thing I really liked was the idea of um, becoming a cowboy. It just was a simple life. Um, I like animals, horses. I like the idea of having that freedom, the wide open country, be your own boss. Um, so that, you know, that kind of led into, you know, as I grew up. Um, but I realized as getting into that, you know, that was solitude. You can't always, um, always go ahead and, and do that. Yeah, I'm sure there's a story there as well. Well, I'm not sure which story you want to hear here. Um, I think um, where that translates well um, from trying to be a cowboy was I really enjoyed um, working with people. You know, I like horses, but working with people, it's a whole different area. And I started learning to love working with data. I um, studied marketing in college, um, analytics, and there were some projects there that were, were very awesome. 
Um, I guess any story as I would tell was, um, you know, thinking about that framework of working with teams um, to become whole. And I think at the end of the day there, um, you know, there was kind of two things that popped out. Um, you know, there was um, one time we had an all-nighter working on an um, analytics project, you know, feeding data in from a study and a survey we did. Um, of course, we had a deadline for a class, so we had to put the results together um, to finish that part. Um, but the fun part about that was we were working as a team. Um, the, the sad part about the story, which turns glad again, is um, one of my team members and I went out to get food for the group. You know, it was way after midnight. Everybody's getting hungry. We need to get this done by dawn. Um, you know, I could tell, tell about all the first time I had coffee. Um, but in that one, that story with going out for food, um, we were crossing a crosswalk and my, my friend um, got hit by a car. So um, what happened there was I had to go ahead and get him medical attention and get him on. And the funniest part was um, his family had a, a wife and a daughter and he ended up going to hospital and getting pins in his leg because he broke his leg. Um, but at the end of that day, um, they were kind of real excited to see me when I came to visit him at the hospital. And I thought they were ready to yell at me and kick me out. Um, but at the end of the day, they said, yeah, it's like, you know, Frank, that was his name. He goes, you're his biggest motivator for this class. He's the reason why he's still in school um, and he's doing so well. So we're just so glad that, you know, you were a good friend to him. You were a teammate. And then at the end of the day, um, you were there for him when he needed medical attention. So that, that was really interesting. That was an interesting experience. Cool. Who, who and what do you admire? You know? Yeah, I was going to say, um, I'm thinking through that. Um, yeah, I think um, with that, that question, um, one person I did admire, I think, was um, John Wayne. Um, and that was kind of a, a lingering story from the last question. Um, you know, I got the nickname Duke. I don't know where it came from, but I think my friends just knew I loved John Wayne. Um, so John Wayne was, um, you know, kind of that on-screen personal personal um, Aldi I really liked. And, you know, the, the big thing I liked about him and wanted to emulate was he was um, always making something from nothing. Um, no pun intended. He was always sticking to his guns, you know, whatever his opinion was or whatever he thought was right. That's, that's what he did. Um, and then he was always, you know, standing up for, you know, somebody else's beliefs and defending them. And I think he's done that throughout his whole movie career. Um, just about every film you can find on him, he's done that. So I, I really respect that. I, I like that and would like to emulate that. Um, you know, and then also I liked him as a person. Um, you know, there's a lot of parallels um, of things that we both liked, even though I never met the guy. Um, you know, he was, I was always the tallest person in school. And I found out that he was nearly 6'6". Six, six. I mean, yeah. he was in, in that, you know, in the 60s or whenever, 50s, when he started doing acting, that was tall. Um, but he had also had a love for music. He's a tremendous, tremendous bass player. Um, so, you know, those things just really resonated with me and, you know, kind of why I liked, uh, you know, the nickname and the guy. Okay. Give a work, give a work example of a lesson that you learned the hard way. Well, that's a toughie, um, but actually a professional lesson came to mind. Um, I was working with, um, 
I'm trying to think what job it was, but anyway, uh, wanted to go ahead and respond to all RFPs, which I don't know if you know anything about, you know, doing that process. Sometimes it's very tedious and a lot of detail goes into it. Uh, and the win rates pretty low sometimes, unless you've got the, you know, the right RFP or you help write it. Um, but what happened with that one under leadership pressure, um, they wanted me to respond to it. And I interviewed the customer to make sure we had the right response for the RFP and went through all the details and just told them, I said, you're not going to get the solution. You're not going to get the, um, the results you want doing it that way. Um, what you're asking for is something that doesn't exist or doesn't work. Um, so I respectfully said, you know, I'm going to no bid this because um, you're going down the wrong direction. You're not looking at this correctly. Um, so my leadership team was not too happy with me. Um, I said no. Um, and I think the customer just wanted me to fill a column. So it was another good reason to say no. It's like, why put all that effort together for the column? So while this is a long story, um, long answer, um, basically what happened was um, within a certain amount of time, they came back, they bought the competitor, they went through implementation, found out they had another 24 months to go on implementation and their business was changing and the solution they had purchased wasn't. And the guy came back to me and said, yep, you're right, David. Um, you know, this was not the right direction to go. This was not the right solution. Um, so I got the sale. Um, it took a couple months to put that back together and I re got it reconfigured for them and made it work. Who, who's actually had uh, an impact on you? Would you say in your career and life? Unfortunately, I, there's not one person. I think, you know, everybody has their personal journey and, and career in life. Um, so I've met a lot of people that had a lot of um, influence on me, impact on me. Um, I learned a lesson from them and, and took that forward. Um, I would say the first person I would um, add to that, you know, I didn't realize this till probably, you know, in the past, you know, five, 10 years, um, you know, my father had a great impact on me. And I think it all came around from my interest and in success in mentoring teams um, that I'm working with. And I realized that my father did the exact same thing. Um, he was a um, VP loan officer at a small bank back before banks went retail. Um, and long story short on that, um, his philosophy was just real simple. He spent, uh, invested a lot of time to train his subordinates, as he said, to replace him. And a lot of them went on to be VPs of other banks um, after they worked under his guise. So I, I think that was an amazing experience and an amazing lesson learned for my father. Um, I think the next one will be my father-in-law. Um, and I just summed that up very quickly. Um, you know, he was a Presbyterian minister and rose to the top of, um, if, you, if there's a pecking order to being a minister, you know, was very popular in the, the church organization. Um, but he was also very down to earth. So being in a power of leadership and then being able to show and teach humility um, was a really important trait to learn. And I really enjoyed that. Um, my grandfather would be next. Um, he said something very simple, never stop moving. <laughs> and he literally lived that to the day. I think he, uh, well, he had a farm. 
Um, he worked for 20, 30 years. And at the end of the day, he retired at 72, but at 72, he was still strong as an ox and, and could do anything the farmhands could do on that farm um, back in the day. So that was amazing. And I agree with him. And everybody else has a handful of other people here. But, you know, I think I learned how to close my first large enterprise, double digit enterprise deal by working with Jeff Cornelius at Autonomy. Um, that was an amazing experience. Um, got to be great friends with Dr. Ali uh, Mazalek um, up at um, Ryerson University. Um, she, I'm not sure if she's still up there now, but she ran the Sin Lab at the time. Um, became totally fascinated, taught me so much about um, um, genomic um, visualization research and what they were doing with that. Um, and of course, a, a recent good friend, Peter Bauman. Um, I've started to become good friends with a lot of CEOs lately. And I think that's a part of that, that, you know, reaching out and just talking to people to find out, you know, how they're doing. Um, Peter, I, Peter and I just found out we had so much in common that we've been friends ever since. So I would say if that's not in that order, but definitely those are people who have impacted me. Yeah. So what, what, have you got something that, that you're particularly proud of and why? Well, again, it breaks down to personal and professional. Um, I would say, um, and it's coming to fruition now, um, three things I'm really proud of are my three daughters. Um, as they've grown up, I've tried to mentor them and help them grow up to be strong women and you know, pursue their passions and go out and do that. And right now I can say as of today, they all are, all are <laughs> pursuing their passions. Um, they're out there in the world trying to figure it out and um, ready to do great things. I can't wait to see what happens here in the future. We're on the um, professional side, you know, there's a, a couple of things I'm proud of. It's always, you know, when you're in sales, it's, it's those large deals. How did you land and expand? How did you make your way through the organization and actually, you know, get the, the project done? Um, so two of those were um, one with United um, Night Technologies Corporation um, started out with their aerospace division, um, which was a land and expanded into working with um, the Pratt & Whitney um, group, which manufactures jet engines and then went into a train, which um, is a brand name for um, HVAC or you know home heating and cooling equipment, um, all the way up to the corporate office and to some other um, business units as well. So you know those type of um, some people call those account management, but you know, it, it was pretty much you had to sell your way through the organization. Uh, it wasn't management, it was all net new sales. And then on the flip side, one thing I'm enjoying right now that um, from a past project, um, I helped put together um, the analytics briefing room at KPMG in um, Manhattan, which was a really fun project um, to learn how the clients would use the technologies and, and um, the advanced analytics. Um, but they've also branched out within, I think, the other colleges, Vanderbilt in Ohio State, um, KPMG sponsoring what they call a MATA program, which I'm taking classes. And MATA is an acronym, M-A-D-A, which is a master's in accounting and digital analytics. Um, so uh, those are things that I'm proud of. I hope to get through the, that uh, master's program so I can show my sheepskin when I'm done. Um, but those are things I'm proud of that I put together and I'm still working. Cool. What, what changes 
will impact your industry in the next year going forward? Well, I think it's what I'm working on today. And um, I guess there's two things that come out of that. Um, you know, I think data is always going to be a common thread. And everybody says, you know, power is in data. Um, data can be a very predictive um, tool um, for industry. Um, and the more data you have, sometimes you can say that, um, the, the better results or the better um, decisions you can make. Um, but what I'm seeing that um, will impact the industry going forward is the, um, the bringing together of those technologies using data on the platforms to make them more efficient for the customers, easier to use, easier to digest. Um, an acceleration of that data will be very instrumental. Um, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm seeing on a big level. Uh, you know, great example is um, you know, data science. Um, I know JP Morgan and who else was there? Bank of America and even UTC, um, United Technologies. Uh, we're doing the same thing. They were hiring hundreds of data scientists to build models, to um, build out in a certain direction, um, to predict their future, to uh, monetize their data, just to understand their own markets. Um, and now there are companies out there that are just popping up. They're selling those same algorithms, um, those same models as APIs you can just buy off the shelf, yeah. and just tweak and use. So it's an exciting world. It's, it's all moving forward. You're going to see a lot more of that I can see. I think on the flip side of that, I think this work from home movement that everybody dreads is probably going to be um, more common with certain industries. We'll, we'll see what happens, but I think that's, a, that's going to be a direction as well. Yeah, no, I'd agree. It's, uh, I mean, even with a lot of clients that are looking to get back into the office, they are looking to limit the amount of time that people spend in the office. So it's either three days a week in the office, two days at home. And the next week it's two days in the office, three days at home. So right. I think there's going to be a lot more flexibility than, than there has been. I've read that. I think Ford's announcing something very similar to that right. company-wide. So amazing days. Okay. What are you looking for in, in your next role? I think that the big thing I'm looking for in my next role is um, just kind of an accumulation of every, everything we talk about here, but um, leveraging my experience and skill sets, which, which means um, you know, sharing what I've learned on how to shorten sales cycles, on how to create marketing messaging um, for marketing acceleration. Um, those are big things, leveraging and, and um, evangelizing the tech that would uh, make another customer better. Um, and of course, in learning all that, um, I'm, I'm looking for a company that understands how to um, work with the customer experience and that customer journey. And a lot of times it's a customer buying journey when you're looking at it from the sales, sales classes. Yeah. Okay. So what hobbies or passions do you have? How did you get into them and when? I'm not sure if this will be the order, but um, swimming has always been a love for me. I got in, well, ever since I was probably a toddler, I learned how to swim and I found out I was very good at it. And I turned out to be, as I mentioned earlier, uh, one of the taller people growing up that I knew. Um, so my length of stroke with my height uh, made it very easy for me to do 
long distance and then speed swimming. Um, I did a lot of swimming in, in lakes, you know, swimming across the lake a couple miles. Um, open swimming, they call it now. Um, the, all the uh, ultra marathons and that type of thing. Um, the cathlons and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, um, you know, swimming's always been a, a passion of mine. Um, it's great exercise. I, you know, when the pool's back, open back up again, um, I hope to get my lap swims in even now. Um, next thing I really, um, really enjoy is snow skiing, which I started that, I would say in high school. Um, I had a great instructor taught me how to ski. And then I just got the bug and just kept going. Um, finding bigger and bigger mountains every time to go ski on. Um, you know, I started out in the Midwest um, skiing on some of the, um, the hills, but, you know, they're the taller peaks in Michigan. Um, then started doing um, skiing in the northern part of um, New York. Um, got a few trips in um, out to Colorado where the mountains are just a little taller. So enjoyed that. I've never really skied outside the, um, the U.S. yet. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that someday. Um, maybe the Swiss Alps, maybe British Columbia. We'll see. The bugaboos are on my mind, um, but we'll see if we get there. Yeah. And then cycling is probably the next one. Um, I always love to cycle. I cycle every day right now. So as long as the weather's nice, I'm out there. What, what drives you to succeed, do you believe, and why? I think it just comes um, from a handful of things, but I'll call it my upbringing. Um, I'm very interested in the customer experience and then the customer journey uh, and how that impacts business. And so why I think I succeed is um, I spend a lot of time learning both those disciplines and understanding how technology enables that and makes it better. And so, you know, the succeeding part is um, taking that forward and creating um, opportunities for the customer that they didn't realize that they were interested in, um, which basically a different type of um, business generation. Um, but, you know, the ability to walk a customer through their own pilot project and get them success on a very quick basis has always gotten me excited. So I, I think there's two sides to that, you know, what drives me to succeed is having a happy customer, making the customer awesome. And then um, it also is gratifying to, you know, see their success and carry that on to the next project for the next customer. Excellent. David, thank you for lifting the curtain. That was a pleasure, Howard. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Great conversation. Mm -hmm.